You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. How's it going, guys? Alan Seiler. Books, young man. Books. Thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library. Thousands of books. No lie, I was just about to say that. And two <laughs> seconds before, I did not say it. <laughs> I, you know what? And as soon as I thought about saying that one, I thought, I bet you Keith's going to do that one. <laughs> That's I great. Have a backup. <laughs> <laughs> and we're joined by a special guest tonight. Um, Victoria Avalon is with us today. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm afraid yeah. I don't have any catchphrases like uh, like <laughs> Alan. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, and. We, I've known you for a long time, but you are a writer, um, an actress in fan films. That's all your 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 fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, very knowledgeable about Star Trek, but also in your day job, you're a lawyer. I am, and I've read many very detailed, interesting legal analyses that you write on your Facebook page. And we were talking <laughs> a while back about doing this. You're talking about the courtroom episodes of Star Trek, and I was like, "Well, I need to get Victoria to come on because." She'd be perfect. You know a lot about Star Trek, and you know way more than we do about the law. So I thought that I'd be interesting. So thank you very much for joining us tonight. Glad to help. How do we got? How we want to? We want to phrase this, guys. Did you guys have episodes in specific that you wanted to to start with, or do we want to start with Victoria? And I, I would say Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Do you think a little bit about your background? What? Yeah. You, well, that yes, and and a little bit about how you got into Star Trek. Yeah. Right. Well, um, Charles is right. I'm an attorney. Um, I'm uh, licensed in um, Illinois and and in Florida, and I practice in Florida, Um, primarily criminal law and appeals um, or appellate actions. Um, My greatest uh, experience is in post-conviction litigation, and I've done that for for about 23 years. I've been a Star Trek fan um, since the original series. Mm. Um, I can remember being very young in 1969, um, kindergarten age or less. I, I don't um, want to give too much away, I think. <laughs> but um, I, I was not allowed to be up at 10 o'clock at night. Uh-oh. So my parents would be watching the show, and I'd hear the theme song, and I would sneak out and hide behind the couch. <laughs> I could watch it. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, awesome. And, of course, you know, in the, in the 70s, um, when I was in elementary school and uh, in junior high school, it was, the show was in um, syndication. And um, it was on every day, it yeah. seemed like. So I would come and I would watch it when I would get home from school. And um, the animated series, um, I, I would get up 
early every Saturday morning so I, I could catch it because um, I loved it. I mean, I had a crush on Captain Kirk <laughs> when, I was, when I was younger. And um, I, I just, I, I loved it. And um, I've seen all the movies in the theaters when they came wow. out. And uh, beginning with the first one. And um, the first fan fiction I saw was um, the original Exeter track, not all of it, or, or Starship Exeter, the, what right. the Johnsons did. Fantastic work. Oh, Holds yeah. up to this day. And um, that was the first thing that I saw, and I, I loved it. And, of course, I, I saw some of the early New Voyages. Um, I, I thought James Cawley was a much better Kirk than people gave him credit for at the time. <laughs> right. But he did very well. Um, I enjoyed those very much. And um, I discovered Starship Farragut in uh, 2012. Um, they had just put up um, for one of a nail. Mm. And I watched it on YouTube. And at the end of it, they had a web address for their website at the time. And um, I went to the website, got an email address for the administrator. I realized that the studio was only about four hours away from where I lived at the time. And um, I figured that, uh, you know, why not? I'll send these people an email and see if they need any help because they're still in the middle of construction according to their news updates. And um, I didn't think I would hear back. Mm. 30 minutes after I sent the email, my <laughs> cell phone's ringing. Wow. It was John Broughton. Okay. Yeah. Straight to the top. Wow. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm hearing from Captain Carter. Right. You know? And um, at the time, Holly Bedner was our personnel director. And um, I came on um, to assist with, uh, with construction. And the first time I walked into the Kingsland studio, uh, they had the bridge up. And that was it. Hmm. That, was in, that was in the middle of 2012. And um, I was there when the uh, corridor was put up. Um, I helped plan the, uh, the sick bay. I helped plan the um, captain's quarters, in fact. There's some funny stories about that. Uh, Mike Bedner is incredible uh, when it comes to detail. He's he's all about the details. Um, he's a modeler and mm. uh, and incredibly incredibly talented. And I can remember when we put together the captain's cabin. We all were staying there late, and we had this all night debate about exactly how high the captain's bed was off the floor. <laughs> and it got to the point where we took protractors and put on the uh, one of the episodes, um, the one with the scalosions where they, they, they drink the, the water and they slow down to, or speed right. up. You wink know, of an eye. Wink of an eye. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's it. And uh, we had that on. And that scene where he's in his quarters with with the Scalosian girl, and we're in, we're on this this little television with protractors, right, taking angles <laughs> and and doing math. And I can't add two and two and get four twice running, dude. I'm a lawyer. I, I mean, I'm not an engineer. 
And um, what the upshot of it was is, is, is that Mike had one idea and Royal, uh, who was our chief of construction, had another and Royal ended up being right. We never let Mike live it down. <laughs> and that's the story behind uh, behind uh, why the the bed is the height that it is. I mean, they, they, Mike is very painstaking, and uh, and and he is the god of detail. Um, the Kingsland sets look the way that they do because of, of Mike Bednar, right? Um, and he does not get the credit that he should. Yeah. Had you done acting before you got involved? Had you done theater and so forth in school and things like that, or was this the first time you got into something like that? Well, every trial lawyer is a ham actor <laughs> and if they say otherwise they're lying <laughs> but no no i wow. i didn't do any amateur um acting at all until i started doing films. that's very interesting mm -hmm. i'm curious to know and just really quick like which if you can name which star trek series is your favorite which series yeah. Mm -hmm. um, of all the uh, the ones that are the original, I thought you might. Say yeah, that. for season TOS. <laughs> Mine when, too. When first I'm season. Writing, if if you uh, if you pay very close attention, uh, Charles used to call me out on this because he used to edit my scripts. <laughs> um, I uh, I write first season TOS. Yeah. And I don't blame you because that's I, that's my favorite season of all Star Trek is that first season of the original series. I don't think they yeah. ever topped that. Um, well, and speaking of first season, the original series, I mean, that's where we get the first trial episode yep. in Star Trek. Obviously, we got a lot of firsts that year. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And, and I, I was thinking about it before we came on. And I don't want to go through all these episodes and say, is this realistic? Is this realistic? And you say, no. Not no. a single one of them is realistic. None of <laughs> right. them. None right. Of, although there's one in in in, new, in next gen where okay. um, it, the drumhead, right? That's that's where, one of my where favorites. You've got Picard actually citing cases. He cited mm. a case. Yeah. Quoted like the uh, the the interrogator's father had been a judge, I guess, and mm -hmm. and right. he's he's quoting an opinion. That that uh, that this judge had uh, had written. So I mean, that's the only time I've ever seen anything like that in Star Trek. That was great. I have oh. a question before we, we talk about specifically how you feel about shows. Are you familiar with Neil deGrasse Tyson? Oh, he is my hero. I love. Well, him. yeah. Well, you probably know that Neil deGrasse Tyson is famous for not being able to watch a movie without making a comment on something weird. Like he watched Titanic, and he famously posted that the stars in the Titanic were wrong for the time in the year. And James Cameron actually had to re seriously redo the stars. And he's always <laughs> doing that. He's so, totally the only one that would ever even notice that. Yes. He would right. notice it too. Right. So I was wondering, he can't watch a movie where the astronomy part is not correct. When you watch legal shows or legal episodes in Star Trek, does it irritate you? Does it bother yes. you? Yes. Okay. That's yes. what I was wondering. So My you, husband you, was a law and, is a Law and Order fan. He loves uh -huh. it. And um, he used to watch the original Law and Order and SV and early SVU. He doesn't like current, yeah. but he liked early. And yeah. he would have it on, and I'd be in the kitchen doing whatever, or, or you know. Um, and he got to the point where he couldn't. Um, in the house we were living in at the time, there was a pass through between the kitchen and the living mm -hmm. room where the television was. And I'd be working on something in the kitchen and or or making something to eat, and he'd have Law and Order on in the in the other room. 
And at the time, I was a trial attorney and um, in, in, in our office. And um, I couldn't stop hollering, objection sustained, overruled. No, that's a stupid ruling. No judge would rule like that. You know, I, he, he got to the point where he was like, Will you just shut up? You, you, you know, I just can't, I can't stand it. I really can't. And uh, I, I mean, I really have to 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 give, especially Law and Order. I have to give them a break mm-hmm. because part of the problem is 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 I, I know I know procedure yeah. in in the states I'm licensed in, and I don't have a clue how they. I mean, watching them do a suppression hearing in chambers, you know. Mm-hmm. which apparently is a thing in New York state. Mm. That's utterly foreign in Florida. I mean, you would not ever see that. And, uh, and that just didn't make any sense to me. Um, for one, but that's a, that's a procedural vagary apparently there um, up there. And um, so I've got to give them a break for that. But I mean, Jack McCoy does things that would get me disbarred. And and there there are a lot of, you know, I mean, I've, I've ridden the, the line pretty close um, sometimes for, for things that would get me in trouble with the bench, but not like that. So when you watch Star Trek, then and you watch these legal episodes, you 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 tend to you can't not see what this what you would think is incorrect and how the law is carried out. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's obvious what they're trying to do. They're trying yeah. to mimic um, court martial practice. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not an expert in military law. Um, I, I mean, I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, but um, I, um, I did take uh, when I was in law school. Um, I went to Stetson University in, in uh, Deland, in uh, the main campuses. So in did but, I. I went to Stetson. You're a Stetson guy? Yes. Well, I went to the law school in Gulfport. I was a music major. So I was in Deland. Well, you were in Deland. I went yeah. to the to the law school in Gulfport. Yeah. And, That's awesome. Um, yeah. And um God, this is horrible. Go Texan, as a yeah, Texan, I only know Stetson is something to wear. Well, and that's why well, our I mean, teams are called the Hatters. I lost my train of thought. When you get okay. to be my age, that happens. <laughs> but um, but you were mentioning how you watch the Star Trek episodes and you, you oh, can't not edit. But, but also there's their military law often. Yeah, is well, like that's that. what I'm saying. I, I took military mm-hmm. law when I was at the mm-hmm. 2 at Stetson. And um, I was also, I was in the military. So I've huh. got some familiarity with, with uh, procedures. Um in the army at least. And I can see what they're trying to do. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to mimic, um, naval procedure mm. and, uh, they do a terrible job of it, <laughs> <laughs> but they're trying, they're but, trying. But yeah. surely there are some episodes or some writers who get it better than others. Right. Oh yeah. Like yeah. you see variations and they're not all like, Oh, this is the worst courtroom I've ever seen. But some of them, which, which ones can you think of that came closer to right than other than drumhead? Well, I, I like, I like that because of, of how um, Patrick Stewart handled um quoting that case back. I mean, he's so incredibly dignified. I, 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 yes. love, I love his portrayal. Yeah. It's yes. um, I found the hearing that they did in, uh, in measure of a man. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, the way that they went about doing that. Um, 
as far as the sobriety of the procedure um, menagerie. Um, okay. I, thought, I thought they did a good job there. Um, the Strange New Worlds episode that they had past mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Ad Astra um, for Aspera. Yeah. I thought they, I thought they, uh, they did a credible job there, or they tried. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, although um, I question the, the, the way that they went a, a, about uh, recruiting the defense lawyer and some of the things that she did, uh, uh, that to me, some of what she did strained the bounds of ethics. But then again, she didn't care. So um, <laughs> I was pleased that they had a defense lawyer. Is usually it's just like you, you, your attorneys. Let's go. Right. Right. Not <laughs> that does not happen in the military. The yes. military right. a, a, a judge advocate general's office. Yes. Right. And uh, and they represent. Uh, in fact, um, I've, I've got a friend who's a, an mm-hmm. Air Force judge advocate, and uh, he's the regional defense counsel for uh, for South what for. Um, Southeast for the Southeast U S mm-hmm. um, for the air force. And um, he, but he, his experience was as a prosecutor, but now he's a, he's uh, the head defense lawyer. He's uh, he's working out of one of the air force bases in Georgia. I don't remember which one it is right offhand, but um, that's his job is, is to defend mm-hmm. um, air force servicemen and women who um, are accused of violations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Right. And I would think that Starfleet, as a quasi-military organization, would have some form of uniform code. Absolutely. Right. And we never hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You make a point because one of the funny things that people talk about with the measure of a man is how they say that the the lady who he knew, the one who prosecuted Picard for the Stargazer incident, she basically says, well, it's a brand new office, so I don't have any staff. So she looks at Jean-Luc and says, so you're going to defend Data. Then she grabs Riker and says, you're going to prosecute. And Riker says, I won't do it. He's my friend. I respect him. She goes, okay, then I will summarily judge against him. Like, I hope it doesn't work that way. Probably unrealistic. (laughs) And what if we all wait six weeks for someone to arrive? (laughs) When I suggest to you that I like the way that 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 worked out, I'm talking about Mm -hmm. what happened in the courtroom itself. Right. I mean, it's 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 off the chain because both Picard and Riker had major conflicts, and in in reality, (laughs) they wouldn't be asked to do that. Right. More likely, they'd pack data off to to the nearest large starbase instead of. Mm, right. um, you know, he'd get there in, in six months, you know, because they'd yeah. be witnesses, man. Right. Yes. They, 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 that was just that was crazy. She sh- she should have been suspended for that, <laughs> um, frankly. Yeah. Um, but what actually went on in the hearing room? Yes. I, I thought was it was it was sober. It was, I mean, people think that that court is crazy. Well, yeah, there are crazy moments in court, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. mostly when we go to trial, when we go to a trial, especially a, a, a criminal trial, um, there are, are very few surprises because we have a discovery process, um, especially if it's a very serious case. I've done capital litigation, and um, oh. in cases like that, it takes two or three years to get to trial. Right. And by that time, you've gone through, I mean, you've deposed Dozens of people you've uh, in Florida, at least not all states do depositions, but Florida does. And you, you've gone through all of that. You you've provided the defense with everything that you have, um, all the reports, all the documents, the, the things have been tested. 
there aren't any surprises. This the system is is designed to prevent surprise. And and when, uh, particularly, uh, I'm speaking as a prosecutor now. Um, when we get in trouble, is when we don't disclose mm-hmm. things to the defense. Um, there are certain obligations at law um, and special responsibilities a prosecutor has. Mm. And um, that's designed to prevent surprise. No one wants to yeah. do trial by ambush. I know that's one of the things that bothers me. I don't want to do to my colleague what I don't want done to myself. Mm. And um, the primary jurisdiction that I practice in, I've been in for many years. And because of that, I have relationships with the with the um, opposing bar. And... Um, that helps a lot. I mean, we exchange information and, and no, because no one wants to be surprised. Mm. Um, we don't do ambush tactics in the law that leads to bad outcomes for the client. It leads to bad outcomes for my client. Right. Um, you know, we, we, we just, we don't work that way. And lawyers that do are typically not very successful. Well, most lawyers think- <laughs> working in a courtroom don't have to worry about making good television drama. Yeah. Well, that's also yeah. true. And, I, and yeah. that's one reason as, as a practicing attorney, I can't stand it. When I've, I've been in high profile cases many mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. and I've been in, in courtrooms full of cameras and it changes the way everyone works. Mm. I work for a, a government mm. agency and um, well, I'm not to put too fine a face on it. I'm a state prosecutor. And um, I, I've been in, in situations where um, I've walked into a courtroom full of cameras. It changes the way everybody talks. And mm. then um, it, I don't let it change what I do. And unfortunately, I've learned that I'm somewhat quotable. Um, I can mm-hmm. remember in, in, in one instance, I was trying a case many years ago. And um, I, I was giving opening statement to the jury and uh, wasn't paying any attention to the cameras in the room like usual. And um, one of the things that I did at the time, I, I mean, everybody's got their little theatrical shtick and, and mine is to, you know, one of the things I used to do would be to turn and point at the defendant. That's the guy that did it. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm telling the jury that right there are the hands that did blah, 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 you know. And as soon as I turned and pointed at the guy, I heard click, 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 click. It was was the local newspaper reporter. I ended up on page one of the nation state section of the local newspaper pointing at the defendant, you know. And of course, I I was pretty tight with the local police department um, that were the sheriff's office that was, uh, that, that had investigated the case. And of course, if you know anything about cops, they do have a great sense of humor. And um, that picture I got plastered all over <laughs> my office. And they awesome. did not let me live it down for years. I mean, it, it, this, this is terrible. Not only that, but I had to explain it to my elected official, too. So that was wow. fun. And, and I've done things like that. I mean, I'll, I'll throw some remark off. I'm, I'm, I had a post-conviction case years ago where I was going back and forth with a defense witness um, who my the, the gist of what I was trying to, to get across was this guy was doing life and had no reason to tell the truth. And so, you know, I was I, I, I was in the moment, not paying attention to what I was saying. And uh, I, one of the questions I asked him was, you're going to die behind a chain link fence, aren't you? And um, that one went viral. And wow. uh, 
let's just say that it was not appreciated. <laughs> right. You know, an interesting thing about uh, we were we were talking about Measure of a Man. The interesting thing about that one, it was written by a woman called Melinda Snodgrass. She mm-hmm. has a legal background. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the you can tell. Um, what, hmm? You can tell by the way that they were acting in the uh, hearing room. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, what you call it, uh, court martial from. Uh, the original series was written by a guy who wrote for a lot of television shows at that time, legal shows. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, they have a pedigree coming into these things. And I've always wondered about how that changes, you know, the, what we see on the screen, if it's somebody who's just writing because they're a writer or somebody who's writing because they have experience in these fields. Mm -hmm. Well, keep in mind that what they're trying to do, they're, they're trying to, create drama and they're trying to tell a story yes. and um, they want to give it a flavor of verisimilitude, yes. but they don't want the reality to bog down the story. Yeah. So do things like have like, like have the drama of, of Riker having to prosecute his friend. Right. That mm-hmm. kind of thing, which would never happen in real life. Right. Um, but that's a dramatic artifice and they would do things like that. And I can see doing things like that. I might try something like that. Um, if, if I was writing a courtroom episode for, uh, for a fan film, hmm. um, to, to create that kind to create drama, mm-hmm. um, you know, or lead witness being, you know, have, having that problem where they've got to, they've got to testify to something that if they're truthful, it's, it's going to hurt someone they care about. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny you say that because like my favorite lawyer in all of Star Trek is Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law. He also may be the worst lawyer in all of Star <laughs> Trek, in my opinion, because all he says is no questions, no questions, no questions. And only because at the end Spock runs in and realizes the computer has been hacked, then he gives this awesome speech. And that's kind of it. Well, that that's <laughs> not necessarily being a bad lawyer. Now you're really you're talking to someone who mm-hmm has spent 17 of the last 23 years judging lawyer performance. That's what I do. I'm a mm-hmm. post, I do post-conviction relief. So I judge defense lawyers. And is, is Mr. Cogley effective under, under current doctrine? Uh, the case is called Strickland versus Washington. Um, under Strickland, the question is, um, has he transgressed the, uh, the professional bounds of practice? to the point where it would undermine the confidence of a reviewing tribunal. That's reasonably probable that it would do that. And I've had many cases where I have asked no questions in cross-examination strategically, because if mm-hmm. I don't ask cross-examination questions, the, the other side gets no redirect. Mm-hmm. It's, um, if, if, because that, that's how it goes. It's direct uh, of, of your witness they get cross and then you get redirect. Um, if there's nothing that they said that is or on direct examination that hurts my theory of the case, then why do I want to give the other side another shot at witness? Um, mm. Why do I want, you know, if your opponent is making a mistake, let him make it. Sun Tzu used to say mm-hmm. once said that. And um, as far as, as what Mr. Conley was up to, what was his strategy? That's the question. Yeah, that was my question. Thinking, what was his strategy? What he do? Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the way things that worked out, I, I don't know that um, 
I mean, he clearly had one, but but I think that uh, that things as that episode developed changed the way that he was approaching that case, and he rolled with with what he got. Um, they ultimately ended up on Enterprise, um, mm-hmm. and um, he brought uh, it, he brought Ben Finney's daughter up, and he brought her up. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think it's fairly clear that mm-hmm. uh, probably Spock um, had given him information that uh, hadn't been shared with the viewer or with uh, uh, Ms. Shaw, the prosecutor. And uh, I, I think that he probably suspected that, that uh, Ben Finney was still alive and, uh, and that they would locate him. And that's why they were using that silencing device. And why they mm-hmm. wanted the the whole bunch of them on 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 Enterprise to begin with, so that was clearly his his strategy. And um, you know, we get zapped in the very beginning of that with this this the, the ion pod thing, which you know, of course, Kirk is like, "That's BS, man. That didn't happen that way." Right. Well, I mean, you know that that's a faked video, and and with a guy with a Spock computer rating at some point in this process, Spock figured out that that was a fake. Right. And there's only one way that that's going to happen. And there was only two people on enterprise at the time with that ability. Spock was one Finney was the other. So, you know, that's, that's not hard to dope out. Hmm. No one, he didn't spend a lot of time cross examining anyone. He didn't need mm-hmm. to. And let's not forget, even though he didn't do it, the only other person who had that computer knowledge was James Kirk. What what a captain, right? <laughs> right. He's a great I guy. Wanna, let me get a comment from one of our viewers. This is one of our regular viewers, Bill Lamond. And he says, my dad was a civil litigation lawyer and a state circuit court judge for about 40 years. Tori, you have told me more about what it's like in a court than he <laughs> ever did. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Well, I appreciate that. Well, and, I was gonna, and your comment about Ben Cogley, I could, uh, uh, Samuel Cogley, I could tell you thought about it in a way that I didn't because I think I gave into TV entertainment, Cogley. But mm-hmm. even the way you talked about that, I could tell you were thinking about what was going on. Well, you know, you asked you asked the question, and so yeah. I, I'm judging him the same way that I would judge the performance of a, of a defense lawyer. I've spent mm-hmm. years defending criminal defense lawyers' mm-hmm. work. Um, that's that's uh, the the majority of, of my practice. Um, I supervise a department in a large, uh, well, medium sized um, prosecuting attorney's office that's charged with post conviction lit- or defending post conviction litigation, and so I have to develop relationships with the defense bar, which is unusual for a prosecutor, and I have to be able to judge the performance of an attorney. I mean, if someone's made a mistake, if they've done the wrong thing, I have to know that and I have to, I have to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Then we defend on grounds of prejudice, if possible. Um, and if not, I mean, right's right. You got to cash in your chips and go from there. Yeah. Fortunately, that's not very common. <laughs> well, there's another attorney that I wanted to ask about, but before we do that, let's take a quick break uh, for a couple of commercials, and then we'll come right back, and we'll get back into our discussion with Victoria Athlon. So stay right there. Mm-hmm. 
We are the Cigar Nerds, bringing nerdy sophistication and geeky indulgence on all topics, including movies, video games, science, and pop culture news, all from the Nerd Cave Cigar Lounge. Find us on iTunes, Stitchers, Google Play, and wherever fine podcasts are found, including esonetwork.com and cigarnerdpodcast.com. So fire up a cigar. It's time to get nerdy. And we're back. And, and I would say after Samuel T. Coakley, probably my favorite uh, lawyer in Star Trek was the the Klingon lawyer from Rules of Engagement who was after Worf. In Deep Space uh, Nine? Think, in D Space Nine. And I ah. think that's, for one, I'd love anytime there's an, uh, there's an attorney. And it's not just, you know, your buddies or your attorneys now. But um I mean, he has such a very interesting approach. I know he's an alien, so the rules are maybe a little bit different for him. Yeah. But, I mean, as, as an attorney, what did you think of his strategy in that episode? Well, what struck me about that particular episode is that you were dealing with uh, an individual who is obviously in a system that he's used to playing a rigged game. Right. Yeah. And um, once he got shook out of it, um. I, I thought that what he, I mean, obviously he got Worf out of it. So uh, what he did was effective in the mm. end. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I learned doing trials, I've, I've done about 75 trials. Um, well, it's, well, my record is uh, I've done somewhere between 70 and 75 jury trials. Yeah. And I've done over a hundred appellate actions. Um, at all levels of the state courts in Florida and between five and 700 post-conviction evidentiary hearings. So I've mm. been in court a lot. And one of the things I've learned from all of that is that you have to understand who your audience is. Right. And um, the Klingon, his audience was the judge who apparently had plenary power, complete power. And he was also uh, kind of like uh, in Rumpole of the Bailey, Worthington Banana, you know, in the, in the um, episode that they did in, in the African court where he's completely run by whatever the uh, the president wants of, the, of yeah. the country that they were in. And, uh, and, and this, this Klingon judge was pretty much the same thing. He was a creature of the system. Mm. And he was yeah, trying I mean- to get the judge to do something that uh, was outside his comfort zone. And that's, mm. that's very difficult. I've managed to do that in the past to get judges to do things that they clearly did not want to do because I boxed them in with the law or, um, or I had a better argument or, on the facts um, that's happened. No judge likes to be in that position. And mm. um, so I thought that that particular individual, as a as a character, as a as a lawyer in his society, knew his audience and yeah. pitched towards his audience, which is what trial lawyers do. Right. Yeah. The that makes me think of the the Cardassian lawyer as well yeah, from Tribunal. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's very like 1984. You know, it's very mm-hmm. like um, it's theater. Where it, you know, in in Cardassian society, the the whole trial is theater. You're guilty already, and now. Yeah our job is to make the Cardassian public feel better because you're going to die. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Yes. And I had the opportunity to rewatch that one. I hadn't seen it in a long time and I found myself really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I had kind of forgotten a lot of the details on it, but um, having had the chance to uh, rewatch it, I was, it's interesting to see an alien culture's approach to the law. Right. And the thing about the Klingon episode was that, you know, you think of Klingons as warriors. You don't think of them as scientists or chefs or whatever, or lawyers. And this guy came into the court approaching like, I am a warrior of the law. Yeah. And I thought that was such an yeah. interesting twist on what we would normally think of in a courtroom where you're coming in to do battle like a Klingon would in any other setting. I, I just curious to know about Klingon cooking shows now. And, and <laughs> I am doing battle and my opponent is this, you know, whatever right. <laughs> piece of beef or something. I don't know. Klingon <laughs> cooking. They might actually be fighting back though. So that, you're probably <laughs> onto something true. there. And oh my God, what Alan says, you could probably, you could probably comment on that following up what Alan said. The other thing about the Klingon lawyer was what we always hear. Those of us who watch TV law badgering the witness, he went after Worf and went after Worf and went after Worf because he wanted Worf to show violence. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like, and then when he hit him, he's like, okay, basically I'll rest my case. <laughs> well, that kind of thing perhaps is, is mm -hmm. that's a procedural issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in our courts, that's objectionable. Right. Maybe in their courts, it's not, uh, yeah. you'd, you'd have to know what the procedural rules are. Um, kind of like in, in, in a law and order episode where I'm laughing because they're doing a suppression hearing in the judge's chambers. Well, apparently yeah. that's, in in uh, Manhattan, that's apparently not unusual. Um, in Florida or Illinois, that's unheard of. Mm. So, um, yeah, the alien laws are different because, as Charles was saying, with the Cardassian lawyer, um, at the end, uh, spoilers for those who haven't seen it, when basically he's getting congratulated for winning the case of the, of the defendant, he's yeah. like, "Oh my god." I'm ruined at I'm ruined at worst, and I'm dead at be at, 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 at you know, right. ruined at best, and ruined at, at dead at worst. And he won the case, but you're not supposed right. to win the case. Right, <laughs> it's <just> great. <laughs> well, I think the stakes feel higher in that one because in a lot of cases yeah. in these courtroom episodes, it's a federation court, which yeah. is kind of an extension of how we feel about American courts, where you like to feel that you know it's a fair playing ground. You're going to get your mm -hmm. your fair say. Right. You know, you you're have to be, know what you're being accused of. Right. You think there's a there's yeah. there's so the the it's set up so that if you're innocent that can be proven and you can go free um whereas i mean when o'brien was in a cardassian court where it's the exact opposite where it's it's weighted against him so he doesn't even you don't even have that expectation that all you gotta do is prove he's innocent like no they're not gonna let you prove he's innocent yeah well let yeah, me yeah. also let me put a twist on that american courts are not fair mm. they're weighted toward the defendant and that's okay. done on purpose. Right. The state has the burden of proof beyond mm -hmm. and to the exclusion of every reasonable doubt. Good. Good. The right. highest burden in the law to prove you, you've got to feel good about that verdict. It's got to be something that, that you have an abiding conviction. We tell our juries that, that you have to have, in Florida at least, you have to have an abiding conviction mm. of guilt. And, uh, and, and that's, that's purposeful. Now, in, in post-conviction world where I'm at, after the conviction happens the con and, and he's been through direct appeal, um, we're in a, the tables are turned. Um, 
you're presumed guilty now. And now the state gets the, the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, and that's when I first started doing post-conviction cases, that was very, very different. But mm. we're conditioned to think that, that that's fair. Well, no, it's, it's unfair if you're the state. And, that, and it should be that way. Right. Um, because the, the framers, the, the, the men who put together the Constitution, wanted to check the power of government. They'd come from a, a monarchy where um, the king had unquestioned power. Hmm. And they wanted to, they wanted to be able to, to cabin that power. And that's one way that they did um, cabin that power. And, and over 230 plus years, we've, um, we've normalized that as, as, as in, in society as being what we believe to be fair. Well, no, it's unfair to the government and it should be unfair to the government because we're trying to prevent unchecked, state power right society and that's Hmm. interesting too because in tribunal it was very much about the state yes you know it was about the good of the state and not of Mm -hmm. the individual so i mean that's like so that it's interesting and and to me it raises the stakes because like i said we, we we expect the federation court to act very much as our own um, and like what you're saying, I mean, you've, you've got to prove that someone is guilty of a crime and right. I mean, it's very dramatic. A lot of times the, the courtroom episodes of Star Trek are really just, you know, uh, an excuse for the drama. And I think that's why measure of a man for me as a viewer works so well is because it's about the, the drama of what's happening with those characters more so than, you know, I think we all would watch it and think, oh, that's not, you know, you wouldn't really have his buddies being the, the, the attorneys or if not, if I was Picard, yeah. I'd, I would be uh, objecting to that and right. <laughs> you know, look yeah, especially a, a, a verdict of, of such magnitude, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're going to take away data's humanity, right? I mean, there's no way you want people with conflicts of interest to, uh, <laughs> right. to be litigating the case. And number one, and number one and number two, first, I think Picard would have been the best witness for this, for the, for, for data mm. and, and Riker too. I mean, in fact, if I had been defending data, I would have had half of the enterprise crew lined up yeah. to, <laughs> to come in and testify. Um, right. you know, we would have brought his cat in, as, as, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, I, I did something like that once in a, in a suppression hearing, um, it was over a dog and, and I had, uh, I had the sheriff's deputy who had done the search with the dog, bring the dog in. And we did a demonstration for the judge. It was very effective. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, I would have done things like that to defend data. If I was prosecuting, I would have wanted to put limits on that. Um, there, there are doctrines in the law that, that uh, cabin or allow you to cabin cumulative evidence. Mm-hmm. Too much of that stuff is going to be cumulative, first of all. Some of it's going to be unfairly prejudicial. Mm. Um, in, in other words, something that, that inflames the emotion of the fact finder. And, and that can be true of a judge as well as a jury. So um, you, you can try to limit those kinds of things. Um, that cyberneticist, he was a terrible witness. I, I would have tried <laughs> to find somebody um, who had a little bit more humanity and wasn't slobbering at the mouth to disassemble <laughs> you know, the, the sentient Android. I mean, that guy came off like a ghoul 
And, <laughs> and, and I certainly, um, I would have hesitated greatly to, uh, to have to build my case around that guy if I was trying to strip data of his humanity. Right. Um, and of course, the thing I always wondered about that episode, which is, I always thought it was odd, is data by that time had been in Starfleet for nigh 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yet they never, and he was number three on the ship. And that yeah. is, you, you must assume he's commanded other missions. So it's like, you just got around to deciding whether he's a quote unquote toaster or not. Right. Right? <laughs> it's interesting. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And not that, but this is Starfleet in the 24th century, you know? I mean, uh-huh. how long have we been in space? How many how many um, weird life forms have we found? We're going to yes. now say that artificial life doesn't exist, uh, Very bro. You know what? What the yeah. hell, Starfleet? You right. Know? But that, yeah, that, that just felt um, artificial to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, that's such an obvious episode to harp on, but I do have one more question. Because I was very curious. You just said something very interesting. They've seen so many different life forms. Uh, rock creatures, uh, silicon-based life forms, gaseous mm-hmm. life forms, energy beings. Yes. Um, at the end, when she, when um, I forget her name, when she made the decision, she basically says, I'm not sure if Data's sentient, but I know he's not not sentient, basically. And what we were led to believe is from that, that kind of set a precedent for how at least some type androids would be treated. Does that That's make sense? About. She, yeah, okay, that was a question. Is that, the, is that the precedent for the future, what she did? Well... No, because mm-hmm. she's a she's a trial court. Trial courts don't set precedent. Um, oh. Certainly, they would have some kind of intermediate appellate court, and okay. it would surprise me if if that cyberneticist ghoul didn't try to appeal <laughs> her ruling. You know, and um, it would be interesting to me to see what the appellate tribunal said because that does establish precedent for that area. Yeah. So, um, of course, we never hear about that, and and. Uh, you know, whatever. And does that bleed over into civilian life? Because this was a military trial. Uh, Typically it doesn't. Um, I have used, well, all right, let me, let me nuance this. Um, I work in state courts Mm -hmm. and, and um, federal courts in general have limited precedential value in the state courts. Um, typically unless it's an injunction or something along those lines, um, the decisions of a federal trial court or a federal appellate court don't bind state courts. Um, typically it has to be a decision of the U S Supreme court, um, on a, on an issue of, of our law. Um, I have used, there are, there are two kinds of opinion. There there's, precedential opinion that binds a lower court, um, they have to follow it. Um, decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court are, are typically precedential um, because they apply to everybody. Um, and there are persuasive opinions where you can hand this to your trial judge in, in Chicago and uh, and say, listen, this this is very persuasive reasoning and you should follow it for all these reasons. Um, those are the two different ways that these, these are now, as far as military cases are concerned, those are federal. There is an entire federal military court system and they have a, a, a military court of appeals. 
um, that is uh, their intermediate appellate court. And I have used um, cases from the military court of appeals um, as uh, persuasive in, in how they dealt with an issue um, in a child pornography case I prosecuted mm. many years ago. And it was on an issue that we didn't have a lot of precedent in, in Florida on. And, and it was a Florida case. And um, that's one example uh, mm-hmm. of how you can use uh, non-presidential federal cases. But the, my judge's hands weren't tied by it. Um, right. Okay. And, and in fact, um, when that case got to the DCA level, um, our district court of appeals, and we call it the DCA in Florida, um, the district court um, went with a minority view from a, a state court in New Hampshire. And um, the federal case law was using representative majority view across about 26 states. Our appellate court didn't like it. They didn't go mm. with it. They went with the minority court out of New Hampshire. And um, that precedent stayed in place. That was precedential um, throughout the state of Florida. And that stayed in place until the legislature changed the statute. Um, I want to say it was either in the, just the past legislative session this, this past year or the year before. And so that had been about 12 or 13 years between those, those decisions. Are there okay. other episodes that you guys were uh, that resonate with y'all? You know, that either good or bad law that you think of. Say that again. I didn't hear that. Topic. I was wondering because Alan had brought up one, and Charles had brought up some lawyers and scenarios. I was wondering with some others that were kind of that stick with you for legal episodes in Star Trek, either either good or bad. You know, good or bad examples. Those are really the only ones that really stick with me. Mm. Um, either either good or bad. Um, I mean, I take all that with a grain of salt because yeah. it's it's entertainment, it, it's drama. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and I suspend disbelief as much as I can and <laughs> enjoy the story. I try to do that. It's yeah. funny because I have a well, I have an engineering background, but I have a love of astronomy, and I've been studying astronomy for a kid since I was a kid. And I have to do that sometimes with the science. For example, in court martial, uh, I have a problem because every time. Ben Finney pulls those crazy cables and the engines go down and they're like, oh crap, we're going to fall out of space. Like, no, it doesn't work <laughs> like that. You don't turn the engines off and drop out of orbit. So I have to do the same thing sometimes. With, with, with oh, I got here. nailed on that in an episode I wrote for, uh, for, for um, Starship Demos back when I was writing for, for, uh, for them mm-hmm. um, where I referred to, and, and this is embarrassing because my undergraduate degrees in chemistry and I'd refer to uh, to degrees Kelvin, and there and and that was an elementary mistake. It's not. Wow. It's just Kelvin. It's not. They don't. They don't report it in degrees. Wow, you were working. <laughs> with some oh serious, yeah, that, yeah, you were working some serious people because not most folks are going to catch degrees Kelvin. They're oh, not, that got caught. It did. Wow. It did. It did. I don't we feel had, so bad we had now. Viewers writing us about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You mentioned Bruce Maddox appealing the decision. Mm-hmm. Now it makes me wish we'd seen a sequel where, I mean, because really, I mean, if, if I was Bruce Maddox, I'd be like, look, I mean, his buddy was the, the prosecutor, the, the prosecuting attorney. How did he not girlfriend is acting as judge. <laughs> like, what yeah. is this? 
I mean, what a what a rip, man! What a right. rigged game that was. Sure, I, I mean, I can imagine, I can imagine that coming up in front of, of one of our district courts. You know, one of our district courts of appeal, or, or one of the one of the divisions of the Illinois appellate court. It has has five or six divisions. I can just imagine that right now, right? I can just, <laughs> trying to explain this to a district to a panel of district court judges with a straight face. No, thank you. No, that, I don't want to be that lawyer. Like the captain used to date her. Wait a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Alan, Veronica, do y'all have other cases y'all thought about that um, that you were interested in? Cardassian one was the main one I had been. Mm-hmm. That's about. a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know what that reminded me of? I've seen excerpts of the of the trial in nineteen in in the nineteen eighties that they did in the Soviet Union after the Chernobyl da- uh, disaster, and it reminded me of that. Mm. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, it, a foregone conclusion. The whole thing. It was just. It was a rigged joke, and right. uh, and and that's. It looked just like that. It was a. It was like a Nazi show trial. It was terrible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Um, you know, in the, in the current Paramount plus paradigm of Star Trek, where we have lots of different series in production at the same time, and each one of them has a different tone. I have said many, many times on this show that I think that you could do a Star Trek comedy. You could do a Star Trek medical show, you know, like a hospital drama, that kind of thing. And I would love to see a Star Trek courtroom show or something based around the jag office so if you were the showrunner this is a this is going to be a real thing it's star trek jag we'll just call it that how what what would your what would your how would you like stack the cast as far as like what type of characters would be your main cast well, I want to do I, uh, Jag was the uh, was the prototype for something like that and you'd want to do something like that you know, you whoever your lead is has got to be a charismatic individual, um, and and that's who you're going to build the show around. You're going to build it around whoever your your lead trial attorney is. You're you're going to want to have somebody who's like the district attorney in in Law and Order who uh, who's always yelling at him for doing the wrong thing or this thing or that thing. <laughs> you know, you're you're going to want to have some defense lawyer that. Uh, is trying to trip him up all the time, or or a rotating cast of of, uh, of defense uh, lawyers that come in. You're going to want to to take the the show on the road. I mean, you're yeah. you're going to want to explore the trek first. You know, you'll yes, you'll you'll want to go and 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 not just do things on the starbase all the time. You'll you'll want to go to various colonies or worlds or you right. know. Um, They'll have some murder on a starship or something like that. You know, you'll want to go and have that done there. You, that kind of thing would be a lot of fun. Um, You you could do a lot with that. I agree. I I think that Paramount needs to hire me as a showrunner. You should be the showrunner and I'll be your assistant. I'll be, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll do something. And, and I think it'd be a hugely successful show. Well, you know, one interesting thing when you guys are talking about a legal show and, and I was thinking about when I was you know, prepping for this show is if you think about it, the Federation, I forget exactly what the number is. The Federation is on hundreds of planets at the time of the original series in TNG. Mm. And as you remember, one of the things about joining the Federation is you must agree to a, a set standard of laws and treatments. For example, you can't have slavery on your planet. 
uh, I think you can't have monarchies. I think you can't have monarchies. Nowadays, we would say you couldn't treat women differently. And so it would be very interesting to have a JAG show where you're going to hundreds of planets where in a lot of ways you're, you're enforcing the same moral and ethical and legal standards from planet to planet. But then what are the differences? Because to be in Starfleet, mm-hmm. you got to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. But you know, those planets have different work, Keith. And, and yeah. how it's going to work is think about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a Starfleet officer. So the fleet is going to have its own justice system, its own quasi military yeah. justice system. Right. But does that carry over to the entire Federation? I think right. It's, just, it's like different states have different it's like parameters. Different, they, exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. Alan. You're you're going to have a, a you probably have a two tiered court system. You probably have federation courts that are across the federation, and then each yeah. planet, each world has its own justice system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about there's two examples I can think of when Nog started getting get ready to join Starfleet, he would often say, I'm still a Ferengi. He would still do stuff that was a little weird by what we would call. And the other example I think of is in TNG when Worf killed Duras. Picard's like, dude, you just murdered somebody on my ship. And Worf said it was perfectly acceptable according to Klingon yeah. law. And Picard's, exactly. like, Picard's like, okay, you want to give up that uniform? Because you can't be coming here spouting Klingon law when you're a Starfleet officer. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it, you know? that's a jurisdictional problem because what law takes place on a starship? Guess what? This is Federation territory, my friend. Yeah. You you just you just blew it, AA <laughs> Right. <laughs> and you think too, attorneys would be trying to get you know cases tried in certain on certain planets because the the oh. laws are in their favor. Well, you that know, would be judge you? shopping, and there there would have to be rules against that too. Yeah. Mm. Um, for That's example, really interesting. Uh, well, a great example. Um, let's say mm-hmm. I'm standing on one side of the. Of, of the Georgia line, uh, Georgia Florida line, and you're standing mm-hmm. on the other, and I shoot you. Where do we try mm-hmm. the case, Georgia or Florida? The, that's called venue, and there are venue rules. For that. And wow. and Florida's venue rules are that if you commit the crime, and it happen, and, and and it's something that happens in two places, venue can be in either place. So um, so Florida would have jurisdiction over the crime because. You were standing in Florida when I shot you from Georgia, essentially. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've prosecuted child pornography cases that way, where mm. where um, they emailed mm-hmm. child pornography to a police officer in in Florida, and wow. um, that gave us jurisdiction, and we extradited the guy. Um, there was we brought him here. Um, I had one case. This is. I'm probably talking a little out of school here, but I'm, I'll, I'll give you the general background. Um, we had a, a similar case where the, the defendant lived in Australia. He'd never been in the U.S. ever in his entire life. And uh, it took me about eight years to do it, but we extradited him back here um, for a, a similar set of facts. It wasn't direct child pornography. It's a long and involved story, and I, I can't go too deep into it. But um, the bottom line is, is that because he had those contacts, um, because he had reached out and he had committed this, he had victimized um, people in my jurisdiction, we were able to reach out and through the State Department um, extradite him from, mm. uh, from Australia to, uh, to Florida. And he ended up doing about 10 years in a Florida prison. Wow. 
And you'd think if this is in the Star Trek universe, you'd be dealing with complex things like transporter clones and time travel and, you know, yes. how you go. Yes. my body was being possessed by that Klingon at the time. And I didn't do it. Still, yeah. Right. Data, Data um, took over the ship for the 10th time and he's still there. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it's so funny. We were talking beforehand. We could probably go two hours on the show because there there's, there's two things we can't talk about, but. When we want, we'd love to have you come back. Because two things that crossed my mind was Kirk, especially always making prime director decisions on the fly. And then <laughs> there was there was a podcast I listened to that said Kirk's Enterprise did not have rearview mirrors because he made a decision. And then they're like, "Well, Kirk violated the prime directive. Well, did he or not? And he got away with it. But we can't talk about that now. <laughs> and the other one I really want to ask you about, and I didn't get to it, is that horrible episode Justice from TNG. Oh my God, that was awful. But the only oh, thing right. about that is it was the, the weird thing. It's a philosophical thing. It was break any law and you get killed. Therefore, nobody will ever break the law. So mm-hmm. it's enforced morality. But we can't talk about it now because it's a horrible show, but an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is an interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk about the Prime Directive given the characters that I write. Checkered <laughs> 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 history in that regard. Well, speaking of which, before we get out of here, I wanted to give you a chance to promote anything that you've got coming out um, that's in the works or that's that it, that's on its way, either as a writer or as an actress. Um, well, um, keep your eyes open for Farragut Forward. I am. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I've got to go up and. We got the band back together, mm-hmm. um, and I got to go up this summer and uh, and see the uh, bridge set that they built for the Starship Farragut, and wow. uh, the costumes are, it's like 1987, I swear, it's amazing. For uh, anyone who, just real quick, for anyone who's not familiar with Starship Farragut, it was an original series set, um, Star Trek fan film uh, based out of Georgia at the time was where they were filming the sets that eventually turned into Star Trek continues. Star Trek continues eventually moved in and, and, and started using those sets or components of them. But now Farragut has come back and they're doing a movie era. They're moving their characters forward in time, just like the original series did, which is fascinating. And it looks spot on and cinematic. Oh, it's Go amazing. Um, the other thing that I'm involved in is, is uh, dreadnought dominion. Mm. Um, I play Maureen Farrell, who is the captain of the Starship Dominion. Right. uh, Now. Um, Mm. And uh, we released very recently in our own time, which uh, was written by Randy Wren. And and that was a great script. And it's the first time, you know, I I got to sit in the chair on the bridge in Kingsland as the (laughs) ship's captain. That was really that was a real wow moment. Wow. Yeah. And um, we'll, we're going to be uh, filming another episode in um, uh, February. And um, across the Dominion universe, there are three different uh, productions. Uh, Warbird Valdor, which is the Romulans. And uh, they have one starring uh, a crew of a runabout. And um, this storyline is going to stretch across all three continuities, um, mm. which is mm. the, fir- it's the first time anybody's ever tried that. That's and, really cool. And it, yeah. it's, yeah, I, I think it's really ambitious. Wow. And uh, Gary Davis, our showrunner, and, and Randy Ren, our, our writer, um, have been working very hard on those scripts. And, uh, and they'll release sometime next year. And, uh, and 
if, if you like the, the um, that continuity and, and that series, I, I think you'll enjoy it. The, everybody who is is involved in that, I think Josh Irwin's going to come back and do some cinematography for us. I cross my fingers, I might get a, a chance to do a cameo in uh, in the Avalon universe, and that that's something else. Uh, one of those little bucket list things, you know. Like, <laughs> and um, but that's going to be really good when they finally release that. So uh, those are really the things I'm, I don't do as much um, as I used to. Mm. And uh, those are the two companies I'm working with now. And they're, and they're both great to work with. I mean, I mean, getting wow. back and working with Farragut again, that was, oh Absolutely. My God, that was, that was, oh my God, I, <laughs> I haven't played Yvette Dupree. I never thought I'd play her again when mm. we folded after, uh, after homecoming in 2015. And right. You know, I, I stepped right back into the in, into that character and and, uh, and the French accent and, and everything, and it was it was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun and super interesting. I really appreciate it. Yes, this yeah. was a fascinating discussion. I really would love to have you back again because there's so much of the legal stuff we didn't get to talk about, <laughs> sure. and there's just so much. But it, it, I wanted to thank you because. The Cogley response showed me you really do. I hate to say this. I was like, oh, she really does know her stuff. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Clarence Darrow. I'm not, but there there are things that, that I've done for a long time and I'm pretty good. Yeah. It was really fascinating. Review is one of the things I'm pretty good at. Yeah, it was fascinating to look at it through the, through the law, through a real legal mind. That was really, really, really interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, so, uh, Victoria, where can people find more of you on the internet? Um, well, if you uh, if you look at either Vimeo or YouTube, most of the things that I've been in are are on one or the other. Um, I was uh, the early Farragut episodes are are all on YouTube, um, and I was in three of them. Um, I was in um, Homecoming and The Crossing, and um, the very first one that that I was. I was in um, that we did in 2013, and and they're all uh, they're all on on YouTube. In fact, all of the Farragut episodes are, are worth watching, them, including the ones I'm not in. Um, I spent a number of years uh, working with Randy Landers in mm-hmm. um, uh, Starship Demos. Um, I wrote probably 15 or 16 of those episodes, and they're both in Vimeo and YouTube. Wow. Um, that's a great company. Um, yep. I, I really enjoyed working with all of them. And that's where I met you, Charles. Yeah. And we had Randy on last week. So folks have heard about Potemkin pictures already, but look up Starship Demos, um, where you play the yeah. captain. Um, it, well, I did up until, uh, up until, uh, the last episode that they released and, and, right. um, uh, Tuck Stevens is, is their captain <clears throat> now. And, and I've, I've known Tucker for, for many years and, and, um, he, I think he was a good choice to, to succeed me. Um, I think he'll do great. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth watching the, as I've been told, I haven't seen it myself, but I've been told that the, uh, last episode was very well received and I'm very glad for that. Excellent. Um, so you should see that. And, um, then obviously, um, you can find Dreadnought Dominion, um, on YouTube. I've been in a number of those episodes. I played Maureen Farrell um, starting, uh, gosh, around 2016. Um, mm. I'm also in a uh, an audio drama that uh, Gary and Randy did, Excalibur. Okay. 
and playing the same character. Yeah. Um, the, those are, those are, are great fun. And, uh, and that's a, that's a fantastic, if, if you look up um, Dreadnought, my favorite episode of Dreadnought Dominion is called We Are Many. Okay. And it's one that, uh, that uh, Randy Wren wrote and that we shot probably two or three years ago. Mm. It is my favorite by far. It is, I mean, it, it could have been third season TOS. It could have been. Oh, the, wow. The early third season, not the later Spock's brain crazy shit. <laughs> no, not that. It, it's it's um, late second, early third season vibe. And um, it, it when I'm asked which one I like the best, it's that one. Because that, that story's got incredible heart. And just you can also see the the protagonist the actress slap uh, gary in the face where <laughs> he is is that we probably shot that take probably 12 or 13 times <laughs> <laughs> and poor gary was just getting smacked and uh but he he just he's got such a great sense of humor he took it so well but um but they're a lot of fun to shoot with too so um, awesome yeah um, alan where can people find more of you well, you could go to www.cosmicpress or no cosmic creative. Let's do that. K O Z M I C creative.com. And you can see all the podcasts that I do and books that I've written and Tori, I'll be in touch. And we're going to put together our pitch for, you know, Starfleet Jag, <laughs> and we're going to send it in to the Paramount people. And it's going to be a big thing. I'm, I'm telling cool. you, I'm new <laughs> And how about you, Keith? <laughs> you can find me on X and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? FeltNerdy.com. That's right. If you're in the Atlanta area, on December the 9th, we'll be in two different shows. Um, our, I mentioned this last time, I think, but our two favorite shows in Atlanta ended up the same night. And so we had to just <laughs> pick one, do it. Well, the we do those shows a lot, and the, the creators of those shows talked amongst themselves and worked it out so that we could do both. And then pitched it to us. Hey, if you want to be in the first act of this show and then the second act of this show across town, you're welcome to. And so we're like, heck yeah, we'll do it. And so wow. we're gonna be in we're gonna be in the first act of the sinful variety show at the red light cafe on December the 9th, which starts at nine o'clock. And we'll be in the second act of the Puck and Puppet Show, which starts at 10 at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta. So how look can for that us possibly work out. Oh, it'll it'll work. Okay, we'll 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 go early, and then we'll drive to the other place, and then we'll change clothes and do our other bit. In the same okay, time the show. I hope you've invented transporters. Don't y'all stay are like our car. <laughs> y'all are like Bill Bill Maher. Several times I listen to Bill Maher's show, and he'll say, "I got to go. I got a show in Vegas," and he has to like run out <laughs> of the studio, hop a plane to Vegas. <laughs> right. And where else do people find us, Veronica? Monkeying around a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? I object. Hey, that's great. That's really perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bye, everybody. Thank you again, Victoria. Thanks, all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store.
which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.